0: Beautiful, Randy. Thank you. I definitely think the Lord was lifted up and glorified this morning through song and praise. That's what it's all about. It's all about Him. We uh, we sing to an audience of one. It's not for us. So, all right, at this time we'll go ahead and release the kids for Children's Church. And again, this morning... uh, I don't know if everybody, uh, there is a handout, again, for this morning's message. If you're here this morning and you didn't get a handout that you'd like to have one, just lift your hand in the air. We'll get you, okay, there's a couple here. Uh, I'll get you a handout this morning for this morning's message. Uh, this morning's message is titled, Be Strong and Do It. Uh, I kind of mentioned, uh, if you were here Last Sunday, for the afternoon service, we kind of talked about some things uh, as the new pastor of this church and uh, excited to be here and, and wanting to work. I, I mentioned that uh, a couple messages that I'd be looking at uh, congregation's role in, in the church as well as the pastor's role in the church. And so this morning, I kind of want to look at the congregation's role, and next week we'll be looking at, uh, you know, spot on... Uh, Uh, the man behind the pulpit, uh, the under-shepherd. And so um, that's kind of where I feel the Lord leading as we get this going, uh, that we understand that we are the church. It is our responsibility. Uh, It's not just the pastor's responsibility, but it's our responsibility to get the gospel to a lost world. And our responsibility is Stevensville, the Bitterroot Valley. That's our focus. Uh, It doesn't mean you can't witness to somebody who's passing through. It doesn't mean you can't. Oh, you're from California. No, I'm not going to talk to you. No, uh, we want to see all people saved. You know, uh, family, friends, strangers. Uh, our burden should be for uh, the souls of men and you know, of all mankind. So that's where our focus is. So this morning, if you want to turn your Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 28. That's where our text will be this morning. First Chronicles chapter 28. I'll go ahead and open in a word of prayer and then uh, we will dive into our text this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father Lord in heaven again thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the example of David and Solomon as we get into this text this morning in First Chronicles and Father we learn uh, how to build a church Father and uh, we just thankful for the examples of these men uh, But we understand that they are men. And they made mistakes. And they failed. But we pray, Father, that uh, we know they were still good men, righteous men who loved you and served you. And, Father, uh, we're going to make mistakes. But, Father, I just pray that you'll just continue to bless this church and use us mightily to be uh, a light that shines in a dark place. As we reach the Bitterroot Valley, as we reach the the town of Stevensville and, and these neighboring towns around us, Father, use us mightily. To bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not ashamed of the gospel. So help us to boldly proclaim it. For your honor and glory we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Chronicles 28. Starting in verse 5, the Bible says, And of all my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons, he hath chosen Solomon my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said unto me, Solomon, thy son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, if he be constant to do my commandments and my judgments, and as at this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the audiences of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that ye may possess this good land, and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. And thou, Solomon my son, know thou the the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build the house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So to set the stage here, we see that David is writing to his son Solomon. Uh, it was David's desire. If we, we go back a few chapters and stuff. We know that David had a desire. He started to think man, I have this great palace that I live in, and my God is still living in a tent. And there was a desire to build a house for the Lord. But ultimately, God would send a man to tell David, no, you will not build my house. You have blood on your hands. But I have chosen your son Solomon, who will sit on the throne Not the eldest, again, we've seen this throughout scripture before, it's not always the eldest, David wasn't the eldest, he was the youngest of many brothers, but he sat on the throne. And we see that Solomon is chosen for this task. Uh, I've titled this message, Be Strong and Do It, as we see at the very end, the very last words, Be Strong and Do It. The idea is that when someone tells you to do something, you simply do it, right? That's the idea, that we don't make excuses. We don't uh, give ourselves time to talk ourselves out of it. Somebody asks us to do something, we should do it. And therefore, that should be, and Therefore, we need to be committed. Uh, there is a commitment level that is incorporated in this idea. You must dedicate, be dedicated to the task at hand if you are going to do it. If you're going to do that task. From our scripture reading this morning, it is clear that as believers, we all have a responsibility to our God. In this passage, we see that David is offering some final instructions to his son Solomon. While David may, not, uh, may have not been the greatest father figure, his desire was for Solomon to keep his eyes on God and to stay true to him. We see this in this passage. As parents, I think we would all agree with that, Right? As parents, it is our desire for our children to come up and follow behind us, uh, to, to, uh, to follow God if we are believers, and therefore we need to set an example. It is our desire for kids to have a good life and to remain dedicated to God so that they, uh, they can have that good life, and they, so that they see this in our lives and then we are giving them a solid foundation upon which to start their own life, and make sure that uh, they do not, when they do leave home, that they don't leave Jesus out. That's a problem with a lot of families today. Kids are walking away from church. Kids are walking away from Jesus Christ. They're trusting in their parents' salvation. They're, uh, or, or you know, what kind of example have we been? We do not want our children to leave home and to leave Jesus out. Adolf Menzel created a painting titled Frederick the Great's Address to His Generals Before the Battle of Luthen. Long title. But this historical piece depicts Frederick's speech to his generals in December of 1757 during the Seven Years' War before their famous battle in Silesia against the Austrians. Menzel worked on it from 1859 to 1861 but he never finished it. See, the monumental painting contains the background and the generals standing in a semicircle around Frederick the Great. But the main figure, Frederick the Great, was left blank. It's kind of drawn in. I went and looked at that picture, and you can kind of see the draw in where he's supposed to be standing, but he's not there. It's blank. Menzel's famous painting is a picture of our lives, to, many of lives today. The background of career, interest, pursuits, and achievement is complete. The faces of significant people like family, friends, and colleagues surround. But the central and most important figure is left incomplete. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been given a name that is above all others and rightly deserves to be the focal point of our lives. Likewise, the centrality of Christ is uh, in life is the greatest need of every person may we never foolishly allow him to be a blank figure in our crowded lives and that's what our subject is this morning is dedication to god that's the congregation's responsibility to be dedicated to god so this morning my question to you is how dedicated are you to god and his purpose for your life how dedicated are you to god and his purpose for your life. Our passage provides three stipulations this morning that show us if you are truly dedicated to God. And the first stipulation to show if you're dedicated, truly dedicated to God, is that you will shape the church. Shape the church, otherwise, otherwise known as building his house. We could also say building his house here. We see this in verses 5 and 6. In verse 5 it says, And all my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons, he hath chosen Solomon my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said unto me, Solomon, thy son, he shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. With, when it comes to shaping the church, I want you to see first and foremost that we are chosen for a task. We see here right off the bat that Solomon is chosen for a task. David's not going to build the house. God doesn't want him to do it. He wants Solomon. Solomon is given the task of building God's house. We too, I want you to see as a congregation, we too as Christians, as believers, we are chosen by God for a task. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Peter is quoting from the Old Testament. Because the nation of Israel was told the same thing. That they were a chosen generation. The nation of Israel was chosen for a specific task. They were chosen to tell the world. What happened was Israel got... They got prideful. And God became their God. God didn't choose them because he was their God. He chose them to tell the world that he was all of their God. He was the only God. And that one day a Savior would come to save them from their sins. One day there would be a final blood sacrifice. That's what they were chosen for. We too are chosen generation A royal priesthood. We represent Jesus Christ. Therefore, we should look like Jesus Christ in the world. We should be telling people about Jesus Christ. It's not about Jim Patser, it's about Jesus Christ. John fifteen verse sixteen adds, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of my of the Father in my name, He may give it to you. See, we are chosen by God for a specific task. Christians are chosen. It it does not mean there is an elect. Don't don't get me wrong. There, There is no elect people that are chosen to be saved and chosen to go to hell. No, no, no. Christians, people who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you are now chosen for a specific task. We do not get saved to punch our ticket and go to heaven. That's a benefit. We get saved to get busy serving God. And stop serving self. Because we realize there's someone more important than ourselves to be represented here. But not only are you chosen for a task, but there must be dedication to the task. How dedicated are you to building God's house? See, Jesus loves the church. Do you? Do you? Ephesians 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The church is not this building, people. We are the church. Jesus didn't die for this building. He did not die for Galilee Baptist Church, for Temple Baptist Church. He died for the people in Galilee Baptist Church and the people in Temple Baptist Church. He died for the people that are not in Galilee Baptist Church and not in Temple Baptist Church, but are sitting in a bar right now or sitting in a restaurant. That are not here. That are sleeping in. He died for them too. The church is not this building. It is every believer in this building. Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25 says. And let us consider one another. To provoke unto love and good works. Not forsaking and assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. See, the congregation's responsibility, if we are dedicated to the task, we're going to be in church. Why? Why do I need to be in church? Why can't I stay at home and just watch it? You got live stream. It's cold this morning. I can sit in my pajamas, eat breakfast, and watch you preach. This isn't entertainment, people. We have a job to do. We need to be in this church to exhort one another. What's it say there? And let us consider one another to provoke. Well, doesn't the Bible say, uh, fathers, provoke not your children to anger? Absolutely. That's a negative provoke. This is a positive provoke. We're provoking one another to love and to good works. What is that? We're provoking one another to love the lost souls of men. And to get out there and start telling people about Jesus Christ. That's the works we do. Works doesn't produce salvation. Salvation produces works. If you're saved, you need to get busy. We should be working as a team to reach the lost and build a church. I want to see a great picture. Uh, the best illustration I can give you. The Bible is our best illustration, right? In Mark chapter 2, verses 1-5. through five we see a great illustration of building a church. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noised that he... Now I want you to understand, this is Jesus Christ. And again, he, Jesus Christ, entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noised that he, Jesus Christ, was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he, Jesus Christ, preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins are forgiven thee. So I want you to see right off the get-go that the sick of the palsy that's those people that aren't here today that are sitting in a bar right now or, or uh, watching football right now, um, not in church because they're lost. They don't even know they need a Savior. Uh, they're, they're, there's a cancer out there called sin, and they have it. And we in here have the cure for cancer, for the cancer of sin. We know how to get people saved it's through the blood. Of Jesus Christ it's through Christ and Christ alone we have a way of reaching them and what we see here is uh, so we see right out the get go that these, there's four men that come along and they're compassionate it starts with us for a church to be built church needs to be compassionate needs to have a desire to see s- souls saved uh, we're not here to build a church from other church members and other churches We're here to build a church with lost people. We want to get them saved, baptized, and discipled, and growing. And then they too will go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. So it starts with compassion, but it also means we have to work together. What happens is these four men see this guy sick of the palsy. They have compassion upon them. And the four of them work together to pick him up from his bed. And they bore him to where the word of God was being preached. Where Jesus himself is preaching the word of God. Now, the problem that I would love to run into, that of course I understand Jesus has it, but we don't have it here at this time, is it's not hard for people to get through our doors right now. But I would love for one day people having to sit outside right now because there's not enough room in here. I would love for one day that maybe we have to put a TV over in the fellowship hall so people can see the message because there's not enough room in here. And that's what's happening. Jesus is so overcrowded with men. These guys are trying to get a lost person to Jesus Christ, a person who needs to be healed. So they show compassion. They work together. But I want you to see their tenacity. Oh, dude, it's full. We can't get in. Sorry, bud. See you later. We're going home. There's football games. No, no, no. They didn't. They didn't just give up. They're like, we got to get him in there. This guy needs to be healed. This guy needs his sins forgiven. So what do they do? Their tenacity. They get him to the roof of the building. And they tear a hole in the roof and lower him down in. Now, again, I hope that one day we have trouble getting people in here, but I don't want anybody to tear the roof out to get somebody in here. Okay. But ultimately, that's tenacity. That's staying the course. That's not giving up because somebody slammed the door in my face. I'm not doing that ever again. That's not giving up because I've been trying on this person for over 20 years and they just won't listen to me. If you're still breathing, keep telling them about Jesus. Sometimes they might not it might be your your funeral that they get saved. But I want you to see they that's a great picture. We need to have compassion for lost souls. We need to uh, work together to reach this lost community. Going out in fours, maybe, and, and, and that's, that's how we did it at, in Lancaster. My wife and I would go with the young ones, uh, Ben and, and Jane. And Ben and Jane would go down one side of the road. We had our kids with us too, but Ben and Jane would go down one side and we'd go down the other. We went out in a group of four and we were knocking doors and reaching people with the gospel inviting them to church. We did more inviting to church than than really telling people the gospel at their doorstep. But I did get the opportunity to to tell one person. My son and and Ben's son, Grady, led two men to Christ at their doorstep. We had to be tenacious. We had to continue doing it. Even though I never saw a single person saved, I don't want to stop doing it just because it's... Well, it doesn't work. Well, definitely... You know what? Not knocking on the door definitely doesn't work. But my son led two people to the Lord. Where would those guys be if nobody knocked on their door? We need to be tenacious. We need need to have compassion for souls. Uh, We need to work together. We need to be tenacious about it to build the church, to build this church for God. I want you to be able to say, this is my church. My goal is to hear people say this. This is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am friendly. It will do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into the fellowship if I bring them into the fellowship. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service, if I, who make it what it is, am filled with these. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. We are called to shape the church. Who are you dedicated to? uh, Or are you dedicated to? shaping your church our second stipulation is found in verses 7 and 8 in verse 7 and 8 it says moreover i will establish his kingdom forever if he be constant to do my commandments and my judgments as at this day now therefore in the sight of all israel the congregation of the lord and in the audience of our god keep and seek for all the commandments of the lord your god that ye may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. I want you to see that we are to seek and keep his commandments. Seek and keep his commandments. It starts first and foremost, I realize he says keep and seek, but first and foremost, we have to, to, to keep commandments. We need to know what they are. So we need to be seeking them. How well are you seeking God's commandments? How important is the word of God to you? You can't know God's commandments unless you read where they are, and they only exist in the word of God. If you're going to sit at home and wait for God to speak to you audibly, you're going to be sitting for a long time. God speaks to us through his word. How important is the word of God to you? Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Do you realize the word success is only used one time in the Bible, and it's with relation to the word of God. Oh, if I read my Bible... I man, that sounds like a Joel Osteen message. Uh, man, if I read my Bible, I'm going to have good success and I'm going to be rich. No, no, that's what some people want to teach you, but that's not what that says. You will have good success if God's thoughts are your thoughts, if God's ways become your ways, right? Then you'll have good success. Doesn't mean you're going to be rich. I dare say Paul was not a wealthy man. He built. He made tents as a missionary, traveling the world. He was a tent maker. A lot of people walked away from wealth to serve Jesus Christ. But the true success is what are you laying up for eternity rather than what you're laying up for here because you can't take your wealth with you. But the idea is if you want to have good success, if you want to be prosperous, you need to be in the word of God. You need to this the word of God needs to be reverenced. There has to be a reverence for the word of God. You should be in awe. This is not a book, this is the word of God I'm holding in my hands. It's sacred, it's holy. It's pure. It's undefined. There are no errors. It's error free. It's inerrant. it, It will last forever. Long after I'm dead and gone from this. It's been here from its inception. And it will be here forever. We need to reverence it. Jehoiakim. King Jehoiakim. He did not reverence the word of God. It was King Jehoiakim who actually burned the scroll of God's word. We see this in Jeremiah 36, verse 32. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch, the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and there were added beside unto them many like words. Understand, the words of Jeremiah came from God. Remember, we know the Bible was written by holy men of God who were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not indwell men in the, New, in the Old Testament permanently, but he did indwell men. And you can bet, Jeremiah was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. To be able to recite what was burned, and then to continue on what God wanted them to do, and to say, Jehoiakim burnt the Word of God thinking he could get rid of it. I don't like that. And, and, and isn't that how we act as Christians? You realize that if you do not read your Bible, if, if this just, all you get is what you get when you come here and this sits on your shelf all week, you might as well burn it. You need to be in the Word of God and you need to be in the Word of God daily. Uh, isn't that what our, our, you know, this book of the law shall not depart out of the mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night? Every day couple days read it in the morning read it before you go to bed stay in the word of God reverence the word and if you have reverence for the word of God you will read the word of God 2nd Timothy two fifteen says study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth it's not just reading it it's also studying it oh I don't understand that well I guess I'll wait until the pastor preaches on it one day No, ask questions, dig into it, Uh, cross-references. The Bible is the best support for the Bible. There are commentaries, but be careful what commentaries you use. But study to show thyself approved, getting into it. So this is how we seek. We we get into the Word of God and we study it. We start to seek His commandments, what He wants for us. Now, once you find them, now you've got to keep them. Maybe that's why Jehoiakim burned them. See, that's how we like to do. Oh, I don't like that passage. Let's take that page out. Right? If it's not in there, I don't have to do it. Be strong and do it. We need to keep His commandments. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. What is James saying there? He's like, you need to be a doer. Remember, James is the one that, contradict, or that, that, that people say is contradictory because, oh, he says salvation is by works. No, that's not what James says. James says salvation produces works. A war, you know, If you're saved and you're not working, if you're, uh, if you're not a doer of the word, but you're just a hearer of the word, you know the word, but you're not doing it because you won't apply it to your heart and make it a part of your life, and live the word out through your life, you're just deceiving your own self. What are you deceiving yourself of? Well, faith without works is a dead faith. Faith without works is a dead faith. Does, does it mean that, uh, oh, I, I trusted Christ? Did I? It doesn't mean a person loses their salvation. It may mean they never were saved. Just because somebody. Uh, says a prayer does not mean because they prayed the sinner's prayer that they're saved because ultimately remember there must be a change in your lifestyle god says you come in uh, an old creature but you leave a new creature therefore salvation produces works we get to work And therefore, we start doing what God wants us to do. Be strong and do it. Keep my commandments. Go ye, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a commandment of God. Are you doing it? Obey the word of God. The Bible says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus Christ? Are you? Oh, I love Jesus. I just don't want to do everything he tells me to do. You know, uh, we as parents try this on our kids all the time. If you really love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. Right? And we're knuckleheads. We don't do it all the time. But God's just trying to say, if you love me, keep my commandments. He he goes on to add in John 14, verse twenty: He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself in him. All right? So if you have his commandments, keep them. You know his commandments, you sought them out, you keep them. And if you do that, it shows our love for God, for Jesus Christ. And when we do that, then Jesus will manifest himself to us. He will show himself to us. See, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you've often heard me uh, when, I, when I pray, I, I, I tell God, get me out of the way. I want people to see Jesus when I'm up here, not me. I want people to hear Jesus, not me, okay? And therefore, if I'm doing, keeping and seeking His commandments, that's what you should see. Because Jesus is manifesting Himself in me. I I should look in the mirror and see that I'm walking close to Jesus Christ. He will manifest Himself. We study to know what God wants, then God says do it. When we do it, we demonstrate our love for God and thus we receive blessings, right? We receive blessings. Jesus manifests himself to us. Uh, That's one of the blessings. Uh, This could allude to another way that he manifests himself to us. What happens when we get saved? When we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are immediately indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Therefore we have, what a blessing is that? You have the power of God living in you. Uh, The power that parted the Red Sea. The power that parted the Jordan River. Those people walked, they didn't slop through a bunch of mud, they walked through on dry ground. That's the power of God. The power of God that created the heavens and the earth. That is in you. I can't think of, man, what a great... Uh, blessing. This choice should then lead us to obedience to His word, thus we do it. Or we keep His commandments, right? If we think, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I have the power of God living in me. God loves me so much that He's willing to do all that for me. What can I do for you, Lord? He just says, keep my commandments. Keep My commandments. Read my word. Have a relationship with me. Ultimately, that's how we can see salvation alive and well in people. I often tell people, just because, like I said, just because somebody walks through that back door carrying a Bible and sits down in a pew and listens to a message doesn't make them a Christian. No more than if I were to walk into a hospital, put on a white jacket, throw a stethoscope around my neck... And then walk into the room that you're sitting in and say, hey, I'm your doctor. I'd like to help you. You'd be like, get out of here, Pastor Jim. Because I know better. Right? So we need to be careful that we understand that we need to be doing it. And if we're not doing it, then we need to reevaluate our relationship with Jesus Christ, our relationship with God. And it could be a couple pictures there. Maybe you did genuinely get saved and you were on fire at one point, but you got away from God. Or maybe it's just you said something to say something because somebody else said it. I'll give you a great example. At West Coast Baptist College, where I went to college, and this happened after I left the college, but my daughter was still there. The college puts on a competition every year, a preaching competition Okay, I was way too nervous for that stuff. So, But they do a preaching competition every year. And the year I was down there, a young man named Nick, uh, he was really good. He's a good preacher. I, th- I think he took second that year. Um, really enjoyed his message. The next year, uh, Nick competed in it again. But what was really cool about the second time he competed in it, he competed in it the second time as a Christian. See, Nick realized later that second year in college that he had been trusting in his parents' salvation. Pastor Chapel was preaching on salvation and that it, salvation is trusting Jesus Christ personally. It's a personal decision. And he realized, I didn't make a personal decision. I was relying on my parents' he wasn't the only one. A couple of twins the year I was there got saved their first year in a Bible college. They chose to go to a Bible college. They were growing up in church. They thought they were saved, but they realized later they weren't saved. Sometimes we we get caught up in things, and, and I've seen kids come forward because, you know, as a, as a youth leader, and you're watching kids at, at a at a big function, and kids are going forward, and you look at one kid looking out of the corner of his eye, and his buddy gets up and goes forward. Well, then he gets up. You know in your mind, you're thinking, that's not the Holy Spirit convicting him. I want to do what my friend's doing. And so, ultimately, we see people who may claim salvation at some point in their life. Why do they walk away from it? Well, it could be a couple reasons. Either they never genuinely got saved, or they got saved but became like the prodigal son and walked away from God. But ultimately, I want you to understand, we don't lose our salvation. Once saved, we're, we're saved. So, Jesus, uh, but I also want you to see that we need to leave a legacy here. We need to leave a legacy for those coming behind us. Uh, notice in, in this verse here, it says, that, we, uh, that ye may possess the good land and leave it for an inheritance, right? We should want to leave a solid church that stands on the word of God for our children to inherit. So what are you doing to make sure your kids will want to stay close to God? Jesus led by example. So the idea is that your children need to see your salvation. They need to see the fruits of your salvation, that you are doing the things you're supposed to be doing. God wants us to read his word, to be in his word. Are you reading the word of God? You know, we tell our kids to read their Bibles but do your kids see you reading your Bibles? We, 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 uh, we want our kids to pray, but do our kids see us praying? Jesus led by example, and we should as well. We need to be faithful to the Word of God. If you're dedicated uh, to God, you will shape the church, and you will seek and keep His commandments. And finally, if you're dedicated to God and His purpose for your life, you will serve Him. Look at verse 9a. The verse, first part of part 9 here. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. But we're focusing on this first part here. Um, the Lord searches our hearts. And so we are to serve Him with a perfect heart. Serve Him with a perfect heart. He searches our hearts and demands our complete devotion. 1 Samuel 12, verse 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things He hath done for you. Consider, you know, that's, a, that's huge. We want to serve Him in truth with our whole heart. When we consider what it is Jesus did for us, that should be an easy thing to do. He gave himself on the cross of Calvary. His blood was shed for our sins. He who was sinless was put on a cross. Why? For us. Now what are we going to do for him? He died for us so we could live for him. What, what can we do? Well, Colossians 3.23 says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So when you do what you're supposed to be doing, do it for the Lord, not for men. I often tell my son Trayton, you know, I, I, I encourage him to do well in school. He doesn't like school. I, I know how he feels. I hated I hated school when I was a kid. I didn't like high school. And Trayton is struggling with it, but I keep telling him, give God your best. Don't do it for mom. Don't do it for dad. Do it for Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that's always watching you. Oh, well, mom and dad are off to the store. Well, mom and dad are off to the store. I think I'll, uh, I'll just go downstairs and watch some TV for a little while. And, and then I'll go back up and work on some school for a while. Make it look like I'm doing something. We always see that when the cat's away the mice will play. But if we, if we do it for Jesus, Jesus is always there. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's always standing there looking over your shoulder. So when you're down there watching that TV trading, just remember. <laughs> it's time to get back upstairs. Get, get focused on school. Do it for him. In, in our jobs, are we working and giving God our best in our jobs? Oh, the boss is gone for a while. I'm going to sit back and relax a little bit, man. He's been pushing me awfully hard this week. I'm just going to take it easy. I'm, I realize I'm, we're, we're all way behind, but man, he's just pushing too hard. Oh, if we do it for the Lord Jesus, we're going to do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. So who, what is your motive for serving? What is your motive for serving? Is it to do it for God or is it to please men? Are, are, do you like to, to get involved in ministry because people are watching and ah, this is yeah, they think this is great of me to do this? Or do you do it because you want to serve your Lord and Savior. David warns Solomon not to try and hide anything from God as he sees all and knows all. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. There it is, Trayton. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding you, doing your homework, or watching TV. He sees what we're doing all the time. So we need to, we need to go in it with a perfect heart. We need to serve God with a perfect heart. Doing the right thing. But with, oh, also with a willing mind. <clears throat> with a willing mind. There are many places one can serve God. But you must be willing to serve. You must be willing to serve. There are two kinds of people in every church. Those willing to serve and those willing to let them. The question is, which one are you? Like the man who thought he had the mind to serve as an usher. This young man decided he wanted to be an usher. He got the training to be an usher. And this mor- that one that first morning, he's finally ready to do it. This friendly new usher greeted this lady at the door. And he says, ma'am, may I help you in? And she, he takes her by the arm and helps her into the front door of the church. And he says, ma'am, where would you like to sit this morning? And she says, well, son, I'd really like to sit in the front row. Oh, no, ma'am, you, you, you don't want to sit in the front row. No, no, you... You don't understand, uh, our preacher, he's really a boring preacher. You don't want to sit in the front row. And with a look of shock on that woman's face, she said, son, do you know who I am? And he said, ma'am, I I don't. Well, I'm the preacher's mother. And he looked at her and he said, well, ma'am, do you know who I am? And she said, no. And he said, good. And he left. The idea is that we can all serve somewhere, right? We can't all, one of us can't do everything, but one of us can do something, right? Each of us can do something. Again, we must serve God with both a perfect heart and a willing mind. Can you be like David and come boldly to the throne of grace stating like Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See, David learned this the hard way when Samuel confronted him about his sin. Oh, search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And Nathan says, thou art the man. Are you at a point in your life that thou art the man? That maybe you need to take care of some things in your heart so that you can actually serve him with a pure heart and with a willing mind? David concludes by telling Solomon to be strong and do it. We see that in verse 10. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen you, chosen thee, to build an house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Simply stated, dedicate your life to God. If you are going to be dedicated to God, you must be willing to shape the church. You've got to get out there and tell people about Jesus Christ. Are you willing to share the gospel? Are you building the church for God's glory? You also need to be seeking and keeping His commandments. Are you spending time in His Word? Are you seeking out what His commandments are? Well, great. When you find them, now do them. Keep His commandments as well. It's not just seek them, but keep them. If you do this, then serving Him will only come natural. As, you desire, uh, as your desire will be to serve Him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Jesus Christ was the perfect example of man that was dedicated to God and God's purpose for his life. Aren't you thankful that Jesus fulfilled God's purpose for his life? Then why not dedicate your life to Jesus today and begin fulfilling God's purpose for your life? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'd stand for a moment of invitation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if that's you this morning, you know that there's only one way of salvation. It's through Christ and Christ alone. We sang about it. We've talked about it this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no looking around. I don't want anybody to be embarrassed.